and welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 26th of October 2023, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read for you are Moira Lowe and Richard Pugh. Our recording engineer is Alex Gwynne, and we are, as usual, ably supported by the administration team led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones. I do hope you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, birthdays and thought for the week, some readers' letters, and also the Worcester News has restarted on this day. Nowadays, obituaries are placed following the closing music. So if you wish to hear those, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. Worcester, that's 01905 767766, or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone facility on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. And to start the evening, and much to do with what I've just said about your receiving recordings, in other words, by the post, I have an extract not from the Worcester News, but from today's Metro, and it's set in Australia. A woman forced to scour her 800-acre outback property for a parcel delivered to a safe spot has sent a furious message to Australia Post. Heidi, from central Queensland, blasted the postal service on TikTok after eventually finding the package on a tree stump in the bush. And here the quotation begins, and I shall deal with the expletives, I hope, with some sensitivity. Thank you, Australia Post. Just when I thought you guys couldn't get any effing stupider, she said, I got a message earlier to say my parcel had been delivered. 
It normally gets delivered to our local stores, seeing as we're not exactly in town. I go down to the store. Store doesn't have it. I looked into the Australia Post app, and they've said they've left it in a safe spot. Heidi continued, "I've just found my parcel, which is worth one hundred dollars, fifty-two pounds." Any sensible person, you'd think, would drive up the driveway to the house at the top and leave it up there, but no, not this clown. They thought, "I'll just drive in and pick a tree and hope, like hell, the owner finds it." Thank God the owner did find it," she added. "Only by sheer luck. I had no idea." Which tree this was under? Cheers, Australia Post. I'm absolutely sure that the Royal Mail will deliver yours in a much simpler and more convenient way. So we'll start now. I'll ask Moira to read out the birthdays. Okay, so birthdays coming up in the next week on the 29th of October, Betty Griffiths. And the third of November, Brian Ferris. So have a lovely day when you get to your birthdays. Thanks, Moira. And I'll now ask Richard to read the thought for the week. <coughs> This is a an extract from Isaiah chapter thirty. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation; in quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you; He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. Thank you, Richard. Well, now we'll go to useful telephone numbers. And before I read those, I have a message for you. Some of our listeners have asked if it would be possible to move the useful telephone numbers to the end of the recording, along with the obituaries. This would have two benefits: the first, that the numbers would always be in the same place each week, making them easier to access. And also, it should allow a little more time for more news to be recorded. But before we make this change, we would like to consult you, our listeners, for your feedback. If you should feel strongly about the telephone numbers being moved, please can you let us know, either via a note in your wallet, or by leaving a message on the answer phone. So here are the useful telephone numbers: Colin Chance House, Worcester seven six double seven double six, non-emergency police number one zero one, NHS Direct, treble one, Crime Stoppers zero eight double zero treble five treble one, Worcester Hub for council matters. Worcester seven six five seven six five, 
Worcester here to help. Worcester 768053 and request option 3. Community risk, the team for fire safety, 08003211155. Domestic abuse, 08009802. 331. Samaritans 116113, and that's a free phone number. Worcester Theatres Worcester 611427. Malvern Theatres 01684 and lastly, the National Grid and access to the Priority Service Register, very useful in power cuts, 0800-0328-302. And straight on to On This Day, only returning lately um, after several years away. Uh, the last time I read something like this was before the pandemic. I think it's a good thing to have. So on this day, this particular date, in 1965, the Beatles went to Buckingham Palace to be presented with their MBEs. Last year on this date, the King appeared on a special edition of The Repair Shop and labelled the lack of vocational education in schools a great tragedy. On this day, birthdays, Hillary Clinton, former US Secretary of State, 76, Andrew Motion, the former Poet Laureate, 71, Carrie Elwes, actor, 61, Natalie Merchant, singer of 10,000 Maniacs, 60. Steve Howie, former footballer, 52. Ronnie Irani, former cricketer and commentator, 52. And Austin Healy, former rugby player, 50. And now on this day in history, 1760. On this day, George III became king, beginning one of the longest reigns in British history, 60 years of tremendous change, during which he went violently insane. I think it's since been proved that he had the condition called porphyria. 1803. Joseph Hansom, inventor of the Hansom cab in 1834, was born. They proved the most popular of London's cabs and were later introduced in New York. 1863, on this day, the English Football Association was formed at a meeting at Freeman's Tavern, Great Queen Street, London. 1905, Norway became independent from Sweden. 1950, on this day, the rebuilt chamber of the House of Commons was opened by King George VI, having been destroyed by bombing in 1941. And lastly, 
In, on this day in 1986, Geoffrey Archer resigned as deputy chairman of the Conservative Party after allegations that he'd made a payment to a prostitute to avoid a scandal. He denied the allegations and fought a successful libel case. Well, now to the headlines. And I'm going to ask Richard to read the headline article from last Friday. Richard. Yes, from last Friday, October the 20th, uh, they have a headline which says, Treasurer stole £2,000 from school PTA. Woman escapes jail for taking vital cash. And referring to page three, we find a picture of Whittington County uh, nurse, Church of England Primary School, uh, a treasurer for a village school PTA who stole thousands from fundraisers has narrowly avoided being sent to jail. Thief Natalie Field of Bestman's Lane, Kemsey, cried in the dock as magistrates warned her she would now have to stay out of trouble, otherwise she wouldn't escape prison again. The 33-year-old had been the treasurer of the PTA for Whittington Church of England Primary School, but breached the trust put in her by stealing £2,103.66, Prosecutor Mark Hamblin explained to the court. The crime came to light in July 2019, the school referring the matter to police, which led to Field's arrest. As we reported in January 2020, the money was raised from fundraising events and left nothing for much-needed equipment and school trips. Mark Sheward, defending, explained Field originally reluctantly took the job after the mum of four had been asked if she could help out. She didn't really know what she was doing, Mr Sheward said. The solicitor explained Field's relationship with her partner, the father of her children, broke down. After he left, she was receiving no child maintenance or help from him and risked losing her home, the court heard. She found herself borrowing money from PTA funds, the solicitor said. It was in the hope she could always pay it back, but she has never been in the position to be able to pay all the money back. Field, who had no previous convictions, admitted a charge of theft by finding. Simon Edgerton, chairman of the magistrate's bench, told Field as treasurer she had been put in a position of great responsibility, which she had abused. A significant amount of money was stolen, the chairman said. Field was given a six-month custodial sentence, suspended for a year. She was ordered to pay back the full amount and offer at a rate of £250 per month being accepted by the magistrates. The chairman warned Field any further offending and her prison sentence would be activated. A spokesman for the PTA said at the time a previous member of the PTA took, without consent of the knowledge of any other member, monies raised from all the fundraising events during the last academic year. This was devastating for the school and the PTA as this money is used to fund much-needed equipment, trips 
and much more. The statement added new procedures were also put in place to ensure a similar crime could not happen again. The case was heard at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, October 19. Now the headline from Saturday and Sunday's edition. Floods, chaos as storm hits. Dramatic scenes as storm Babette batters the county. And the front page picture is labelled chaos and is of cars pictured struggling to get through water in Ombersley. Flooding chaos. A violent storm caused chaos as flooding closed roads and schools across Worcestershire. During dramatic scenes across the county, roads were closed or became impossible. Houses flooded and drivers got stuck in flood water, some having to be rescued. Storm Babette caused chaos in Worcestershire with the Met Office yellow warning set to continue today. That was Saturday last. One of the main casualties was the A449 between Claines and Ombersley, where drivers got stuck in flood water caused by the downpour and had to abandon their vehicles. Several vehicles were stuck in the water near the Claines roundabout as the stretch of road between Ombersley and Claines was coned off by West Mercia Police. Entry to Egg Lane off the A449 in Worcester was blocked by a pool of water. Schools closed included Abberley Parochial Primary School, First School Eckington, First School Himbleton and the C of E First School there. Rail services also suffered significant disruption. A home was flooded in Hennick Road, St John's, Worcester, shortly before 8am as water poured in from the roadway. Firefighters were unable to stem the flow of water due to blocked drains and advice was given to the occupier with the council and highways agency requested to help. A crew was called out to make vehicles safe after a crash in Droitwich at 7.57am. One Droitwich fire station crew attended the A4133 Ombersley Way Island where the incident involved two vehicles with no people trapped. One female casualty was left in the care of the ambulance service with the police also in attendance. A fire service for spokesman said they were called to a vehicle in deep water in Ombersley at 9.47am yesterday. A man was stranded in about three feet of water in Main Road. Members of the public pushed the car out and the roadway was taped off by the crew. Traffic built up on several major roads including the A38 near Droitwich, a4449 and A44 west of Worcester with delays caused by drivers either trying to navigate standing water or by road closures. Roads closed by the floods include Hanbury Road in Droitwich, the A451 Great Whitley 
and Hope House Lane, Martley. Congestion was particularly bad between Ombersley and Holt Fleet during the flooding. Drivers could not get on the A449 towards Worcester due to the road closure on the slip road. Lower Broadheath was also affected by flooding. A Worcester fire crew was called at 9.08 yesterday. Three properties were affected by flooding in Malvern Walk. Flooding on the train line between Bromsgrove and Droit, which caused major disruption to trains. A train which set off for Worcester Foregate Street from Bromsgrove at 8.22am moved only yards before being forced to turn back. Water could be seen pouring off the embankment onto the line and staff on the train were telling customers it was not safe to travel. The issue was causing delays in the morning for trains heading from Worcester to Birmingham. Incidents continued well into the afternoon, with a woman being stranded in a car in Ford Lane, Droitwich, in deep water at 12.48pm. She got herself out of the car and the road was closed. Okay, my headline is from Monday, October the 23rd. Weapons and drugs seized in crackdown. More than £300,000 worth of drugs were seized and 68 people arrested as part of a police crackdown on County Lines drugs gangs. Officers also confiscated nine vehicles, 27 weapons, 73 phones and more than £16,000 in cash. West Mercia Police were taking part in a national week of action targeting county lines gangs who often exploit children and young people, recruiting them to deal drugs on their behalf. The force said that from October 9th to the 15th, officers closed down four county lines and took dangerous people, weapons and drugs off the streets. Police carried out safeguarding work to protect vulnerable people and children from being exploited by county lines gangs. They visited schools, universities and sports clubs to make them aware of the warning signs of county lines and highlighted the ways they can report these signs if they see them. Officers visited 127 properties on cuckooing visits and safeguarded 46 people. Detective Chief Inspector Ian Wall said, We are obviously pleased that we have arrested 68 people involved in county lines drug dealing and that we have closed four lines and seized drugs to the value of £319,000. But we have also placed a real focus on safeguarding those impacted by county lines drug dealing. Positive action by West Mercia Police and our partners has led to a significant number of young and vulnerable people being diverted away from becoming further involved with county lines offending. Serious and organised crime in county lines drug dealing remains a priority for West Mercia Police. We will work tirelessly to make sure our communities are unwelcoming for criminals travelling across our pol policing borders. We will continue to prioritise the pursuit and prosecution of those who bring drugs into our counties, commit violence and exploit vulnerable members of our communities. Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion said, I regularly hear about the negative impacts caused on our streets, caused by serious drug offences, and I am committed to making a difference. I will continue to invest in West Mercia Police with the resources and tools it needs to continue to succeed in its operations and bring criminals to justice.
The achievements made during the County Lines Intensification Week shine a spotlight on the dedicated serving officers across West Mercia. And on to Tuesday, October 24th, we've got a, a picture of a very good-looking fireman in, in the River Severn, presumably, with his boat, with the headline, Pubgoers Saved from Flood. Boats used to rescue customers, it says. Pubgoers were among those evacuated by firefighters as floodwater poured into the Fox Inn, alongside people in cars who were caught in a nearby lane. The pub in Bradsford was forced to close after water came flooding in following heavy rain from Storm Babette. The rescue came after the nearby roads became heavily flooded on Saturday morning. Multiple boat crews from Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service went to the area after an initial report of a vehicle in water in Bransford Lane. A spokesperson said the occupants of three vehicles were rescued using boats. The road was closed by highways with occupants of nearby properties checked and rescued. Three in total, plus a dog, by boat crews. Staff from the pub wrote on Facebook, Unfortunately, the floodwater has got into the pub. We will be closed until further notice. We are sorry for any inconvenience this will cause. We would like to say a massive thank you to the fire service for evacuating people safely. Pictures were posted of the floodwaters up to the door of the pub and inside around the bar area on the pub's Facebook page. A rescue boat was also pictured during the evacuation. A spokesman for Green King, the pub owners, said, Unfortunately, due to severe weather conditions and flooding, the Fox Inn is currently closed. The team and guests were all evacuated safely, and we will provide customers with an update on reopening as soon as we can. The fire rescue, the fire service said they sent a crew from Worcester Fire Station plus boat crews from Worcester and Droitwich and a Gloucestershire Fire and Rescue Service boat crew from Tewkesbury after receiving a call at 8.47am on Saturday, October 21st. They left the scene just after midday. Now for Wednesday, October the 25th. Where new town homes will be built. Plan for city outskirts. And there's a map of a large amount of building area. The first part of a huge plan to build thousands of homes next to the city has come forward. St Modwin Homes and Hallam Land Management have put forward initial plans to build 2,500 new homes between Junction 7 of the M5 near Worcester and Worcestershire Parkway. The application includes the first quarter of the 10,000 homes planned for the area in the next 20 years and beyond that will eventually form a new town around the railway station. 
St Modwin has nearly 240 acres and plans to build up to 1,250 homes south of Pershaw Road, with Hallam's 230 acres to the north of Pershaw Road, a stone's throw from Whittington, and just under two miles from the listed Spetchley Park, also set for 1,250 new homes. A combined 130 acres of employment land would also be built across the two sites, as well as two primary schools and two new neighbourhood centres. The developers have not yet submitted a planning application, but have instead put forward a screening opinion which means Witchhaven District Council will have to rule whether the plan needs an environmental impact assessment before it is formally put forward. The work would start in 2025, with the first people moving into homes by 2026 and commercial space by 2027. The remainder of the work would be finished by 2032 and 2035, respectively. In 2021, St Modwin, the developer behind several other major schemes in and around the city, including the nearby Weirgorian Park off Whittington Road and the 255 home plan just south of St Peter's, revealed it had joined up with landowner Merton College, based in Oxford, to bring the plan to life. And earlier this month, a group of landowners and housing developers, which included St Modwin and Hallam Land, joined forces and launched a month-long public consultation, which runs until November the 6th, asking for views on its plans to build thousands of new homes, schools, leisure and community facilities, shops, parks and a major new link road. The thousands of homes would neighbour other schemes planned for the edge of Worcester, including more than 2,200 homes between St Peter's and Norton as part of an already approved urban extension. The urban extension also includes plans for a care home, hotel, schools, a leisure centre and outdoor sports facilities, offices and employment space, allotments, parks and green space, a gym, shops and restaurants. Okay, so we come to today's headline. Um, victims burgled while they slept. A 46-year-old drunk burglar with a lengthy criminal record is back behind bars after sneaking into a city property and stealing from sleeping victims. Thomas Gregorczyk, burglary was the fourth he had committed since arriving in the UK in 2014, Worcester Crown Court heard. Colin Phillips, prosecuting, told the court at 4.30am on June the 4th the victims returned home from a night to the student accommodation they were living at in Court Mews, Farrier Street. The prosecutor explained the pair that night slept on sofas in the communal living room at the property. 
At 5am, Krakatrick, who was drunk, tried the door at the rear of the property and after getting in, he crept into the living room area of the downstairs flats where the pair were sleeping. One of the victims, a woman, had her mobile phone and bag near her and the defendant stole her mobile phone, a Santander bank card, driving licence, university identification card and rail card. Gregorczyk also stole a second mobile from another victim, the court heard. In the morning, when they both woke up, they realised both phones were missing, the prosecutor said. When the woman called Santander, they confirmed the card had been used that morning at two news agents in the city, with more than £35 worth of items brought. After activating the Find My Phone feature of her iPhone, the woman's phone was shown to be Nash's Passage Worcester, Police using that information and CCTV to arrest Gregorczyk three days later. The prosecutor said since 2014 he had accumulated 10 convictions for 14 offences, including handling stolen goods, theft, possession of a knife and the burglars for which he had already served jail time. Mr Phillips said he had been on licence when he committed the offence. Grogchek, who appeared on video linked to the court on Wednesday, October the 25th, had admitted burglary, dwelling and theft at an earlier hearing. Michael Aspinall, defending, said the victims weren't disturbed by his intrusion and there was no suggestion he had entered any bedrooms during the opportunistic offence. The barrister said he moved to Worcester in 2012 with a former partner, but ended up homeless and descended into drug use after splitting with her in 2014. He highlighted it was his first burglary at a home. He is now totally absent from drugs and alcohol, Mr Aspinall said. He realises it is the last bite of the cherry he has to turn his life around. Mr Aspinall added the bank card had been passed to a third party who used it to buy items. Sentencing him, Judge Martin Jackson called his crime a serious matter. He jailed him for 20 months. In June following his arrest, Detective Sergeant Grant Fraser said, This investigation resulted in a swift resolution due to the work conducted by both Worcester Patrol officers and officers from Proactive CID. Thank you, Moira. And now I'll ask Richard, our sports specialist, to read his chosen article from the week. It's, uh, the article I've chosen is from October 25, Wednesday, <clears throat> uh, with beneath a somewhat hazy picture of six ways is a headline, A New Chapter. Wasps reveal plans to make temporary use of six ways. A former Premiership Club Wasps have this afternoon, uh, October the 23rd, revealed ambitious plans to make a permanent move to Kent as they plan their return from ruin. After the club was dismantled in October 2022, following administration, the club have now confirmed plans to relocate to Kent from Coventry. A statement on the club's website read... The club is actively engaged with Sevenoaks District Council to identify a suitable location and ensure that the development meets both the needs of the club and the broader community. Building on the rich 156-year-old history of wasps, this move signifies a new chapter in the club's journey, reaffirming its commitment to professional rugby. 
In a statement on the 17th of October, the club discussed its strategic journey since October 2022. <coughs> Having faced significant challenges with regulation and funding, the club has persisted with its determination to revive WASPs at the highest possible level. Without a home, players or staff, rumours for a while suggested WASPs might end up at six ways as they tried to resurrect the, the club. Whilst they have ambitions for a long-term future in the southeast, the statement did confirm an agreement had been made to use Worcester Warriors Six Ways Stadium as a temporary home. As the development progresses through its planning stages, WASPs will be actively exploring temporary facilities to underpin its operations in Kent. The statement continued. Whilst determined to establish a base in the southeast of England, the club has also agreed an option to, of utilising Worcester Warriors Six Ways Ground for both training and playing purposes without in any way replacing Worcester Warriors Rugby Football Club and indeed committed to assisting their return to competitive rugby. A WASPs spokesperson said, The journey of WASPs has been one of passion, resilience and commitment to the game. Our determination to secure a new, suitable, sustainable future for the club has never been stronger. By working with Seven Oaks District Council, we hope to build a legacy that acknowledges our storied past and charts an ambitious future. Thank you, Richard. Well, we have only one letters page from the week, so I'll ask Moira to read the first of the letters. Moira. Okay, so um, this is from Julie Reynolds of St John's. Um, more to be done to stop floods. Every year there is flooding in Worcester and the surrounding area. This is unsurprising given the fact that we have the UK's longest river passing through, not to mention the River Team and various brooks and streams. The costly flood barriers, pumps and bund in Hilton Road and hugely expensive work on the Southern Bypass and at the bridge at Bransford have done little to alleviate the problems. To be honest, the recent flooding appeared to be worse than usual. Broadway Grove was completely closed at one point owing to flooding by the chip shop. This hasn't happened since 2007, but the road is often underwater, although passable, and there is often a torrent of water running down the hill. Unfortunately, it is impossible to stop the power of water. Humans try, but all we do is to cause a problem further on downstream. Let's be honest, it didn't go well for King Canute. I would suggest that the incessant building on floodplains, which are after all there for a purpose, the clue is in the name, and the fact that there are less and less gardens and fields to soak up rainwater, vast swathes of concrete, block paving and tarmac merely serve to enhance the problem of flooding. One wonders if the local council could use our tax money more beneficially than on a Mico Memorial Park and copious new signs for an alley. Perhaps cleaning out drains at the sides of roads regularly. I can't remember the last time I saw this taking place and there are many that are blocked solid. And dredging the River Severn would make more sense? Dredging used to happen until fairly recently. I found an article from 2018 stating why this wouldn't work. The man who wrote it 
now works for a multi-million pound company who specialises in flood defences. And now the second letter. And it's from Kelly Yardley, NSPCC Schools Coordinator for Worcestershire. Help us keep children safe from abuse. There is still time for anyone who can spare a few hours each month to help the NSPCC keep children in Worcester safe. We need new volunteers to help share our Speak Out Stay Safe SOSS programme in primary schools across the region. The programme uses age-appropriate language to help children aged 5 to 11 understand how to recognise abuse in all its forms. Last year we delivered SOSS to over 21,400 children in 113 schools across Worcester and Hereford. And now we need new volunteers to help us in coming months. We help children understand that it is never their fault if they experience abuse, that they have the right to be safe and how to get help from safe adults and the NSPCC's Childline Service. All NSPCC school volunteers are required to give a minimum commitment of visiting two schools a month and they will receive training and support from their dedicated coordinator. To find out more about becoming an NSPCC School Service Volunteer, email volunteerrecruitment at nspcc.org.uk Nominate your charity of year. Here at the Worcester News, we are proud to be opening our Charity of the Year award nominations once again this year. If you volunteer or work for a charity, or you may just want to support your favourite local one, you can nominate them to win the £1,000 cash prize we are making available to support great local causes. The cash prize is being donated by our parent company's charitable arm, the Gannett Foundation. This year alone, the Gannett Foundation will donate £26,000 to charities across the country. Once all nominations have been received, we will review the charities with the highest volume of nominations and choose from these, which, in the editor's view, offer the greatest benefit to the community to receive the £1,000 cash. Worcester News editor Stephanie Priest said, There are so many amazing charities across Worcester that do fantastic work for local people. This cash prize will help one of them to do a little bit more. We'd love to hear from readers via the nomination form which charities you would like to see the money go to. As well as the money, the winner will get some great publicity too as our Charity of the Year for 2024, so get voting. You can nominate the charity of your choice by simply completing the form printed in your Worcester News on any date from Monday, October the 16th to Thursday, November the 30th. All nominations are welcome, but please bear in mind that charities that have benefited from a donation in the past will not be eligible this year. Your chosen charity can only win if they get nominated, so get voting. We, we heard earlier about the grand plan for the houses. 
on the uh, and the planning applications on the 24th of October, we have reference to house plan being refused. A government inspector has ruled that a plan to build homes on a green space buffer used to protect homes will not be allowed to go ahead. The application for permission to build up to five homes on green space off Trots Hill Lane East in Warndon Villages on the edge of Worcester fell at the first hurdle when it was rejected by planners at Worcester City Council in April. An appeal was then made to the government's planning inspectors in a bid to get the decision overturned, but it was thrown out in a decision that branded the land unsuitable for housing. Planners said the application by John Glackin clashed with all the council's policies on conservation and significant gaps, which are supposed to protect land between to, to keep towns, cities and villages separate and distinct from each other, and the important green fields should remain untouched. The report by the planning inspector said the proposal would result in encroachment onto land which presently has an open, undeveloped character and would diminish the significant gap at this location. The proposed development would not be suitable location for housing. The proposal would urbanise the site and would significantly harm the open rural character and appearance of the site and surrounding area. The plan would have seen the new homes built next to Trots Hill Farm and the Georgian era farmhouse to the end east of the 2014 approved coach house. The council added that despite the plan being relatively small scale, it was still unacceptable and would undermine all its rules on protecting green space. The area, which is home to a number of listed buildings, is already heavily protected because it lies within a conservation area, and is also classed as sensitive with archaeologists believing it to have been populated around the time of the Doomsday Book in 1086. The Council's archaeologists did not object to the plan, but said the lack of information in the application meant they were unable to decide whether there was anything of high significance still in the ground. The space was also earmarked in 2016 in the South Worcestershire Development Plan as land that should be protected and has stayed in the current version, which is currently undergoing a review. And now my one of my favourite articles, one from the history of Worcester. And the headline here is The Tank Engine That Became Folklore. And there's a picture to start off the article of a tank engine, a small engine, rather reminiscent of the redoubtable Thomas. It was nicknamed the Vinegar Express, but only by comparison. In this case, by comparison with the lumbering horse-drawn drays that would have done the job instead. The little tank engine that hauled heavily laden wagons from Hill Evans' giant vinegar works in St Martin's Gate, Worcester, across the main line at Shrub Hill Station, was certainly no flying Scotsman, but it became part of the city's folklore for more than a century. 
and that was because hundreds of people came across it every day. At regular intervals, old-style semaphore railway signals in Shrub Hill Road, long gone now, would lift traffic. Would lift traffic would stop. A man with a flag would appear to make sure the way was clear. A train whistle would blow, and the locomotive and its entourage of rolling stock would rumble across the carriageway. As a lad, says Mike Price, who wrote this article, I was not particularly interested. I would sit in Dad's car and enjoy the spectacle, but trains on the move just have that something about them. The line that eventually carried the Vinga Express began life in the mid 1800s as a branch route from Shrub Hill Station to serve Worcester Engine Works and a few businesses on the eastern side of Shrub Hill Road. But as Hill Evans' factory expanded to the largest vinegar works in the world, it was decided to lengthen the branch line to serve it. The Worcester Railways Act of 1870 allowed Hill, Evans and Company to extend the line from where it crossed the Virgin's Tavern Road, now Tolladine Road, by a further 632 yards to terminate in St Martin's Street opposite the northern boundary of the Vinegar Works. This route required signal road crossings at Shrub Hill Road and Pheasant Street and a bridge over the Worcester and Birmingham Canal. A bascule lifting bridge allowed vehicular traffic access from Cromwell Street to the Vulcan Works of engineers Mackenzie and Holland. Completed in 1872, the new private branch line became known as the Vinegar Works Branch or the Lowsmore Tramway. Sidings were added to the line to serve other factories. Over the years, most of the sidings disappeared, but the Vinegar Express kept on chugging until one sad day in 1964, when it literally reached the end of the line. Its demise even brought an obituary in this newspaper. It read, "The locomotive's funeral cortege passed by almost unnoticed. Edwin Robery opened the gates, held up his red flag to halt traffic, and then, steaming and snorting, the Vinegar Express trundled across Shrub Hill Road for the last time." A 120 years old tradition suddenly and sadly ended. There was a day one supposes when tank engine 1639 was clean, and some would say beautiful. But on this final journey, she was big and baleful, her great hulk blackened by age, and her bearings creaking from a lifetime of hard work. Yet, with her sister, tank engine one six six one, she had done a fine job over many years. It was a particular day of sadness for Kenneth Matthews, the driver of one six three nine, for the past five years, and district signal lampman Edwin Robery, who's opened and closed the gates and waved his flag in Shrub Hill Road for the last eight years. A Worcester legend. 
had steamed off into the sunset. Library talks amid upset. Changes planned for a city library will be discussed with residents, the county council said. St John's Library is set to become part of Worcestershire County Council's Libraries Unlocked scheme amid much upset from people living in the area. The plans will see the library open for longer hours, but without a member of staff present for some of that time. A public meeting organised by the Friends of St John's Library took place earlier this week, with many library users saying they are against the plans. St John's councillors have already launched a petition to save the library. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, We are finalising our arrangements for libraries unlocked engagement sessions with members to talk through how the programme will work at St John's Library. We will run these sessions once a go-live date has been identified and we have a clear picture of how libraries unlocked will work at St John's Library. These sessions will give the opportunity for St John's Library members and the Friends of St John's Library to find out about more how libraries unlocked will work, to ask questions and make suggestions for how the community can make the most of the new service, as well as hearing feedback from community groups from other unlocked libraries. The spokesperson said the council is talking to children via local schools to find out when they prefer to visit the library unaccompanied. Staff availability will be worked around at their preferred visiting times and to minimise disruption to their library access, they said. We have already received feedback from customers on the times of day they think work best for libraries and locked hours and are consulting with library staff to seek their views. We've had really positive feedback from community organisations using the first two libraries to be unlocked at Droitwich and Stourport. Groups and members have been able to visit their local library outside of usual opening hours, meaning they've become an even more important part of local community life than ever before. This week's Mayor's Diary is uh, an appeal from Councillor Lewis Stephen to support his uh, project uh, to, to beat fears of the internet. Many people over 55 are struggling with technology, be the device a mobile phone, tablet or laptop. If you feel you are in that category, you are not alone. The latest figures show that 35% of adults aged 50 to 70 and 70% of the over 70s do not use the internet. With so many everyday tasks increasingly only accessible online, it is easy to see that this exclusion can often add to older people's feelings of isolation and loneliness. Age UK have made it their mission to support as many over 55s as possible to overcome their fear of the internet and enjoy the benefits of being online. These can include sending and receiving emails, filling in online forms, sharing photos and videos, watching favourite films and TV programmes, and doing online shopping and banking. Age UK's service is offered for free, and they are even able to loan any necessary hardware for free during the support period. Age UK have 12 local volunteer tutors, usually people who work or have worked with technology, currently supporting individuals with face-to-face -face sessions in their Worcester and Morven offices. 
and they also provide uh, doing home visits where mobility is an issue. Experience has shown that most clients do not want to learn the ins and outs of a particular program, such as Word or Excel, but are much more likely to want to solve problems like connecting with the internet, setting up their device to suit their needs, or finding out how to utilise the benefits from this or that online application. This part of the UK uh, age concern, age UK Worcester, and Morven Hills's work is growing in importance and one of the reasons why I'm working to raise funds for them this year. You could support my appeal by making a donation at www.worcester.gov.uk forward slash mayor. The next article is Tank Driver 21 Gets Van. A driver in the Royal Tank Regiment has been caught drink driving for a second time at the age of just 21. Marcus Hill of Sedge Close Worcester appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court to admit his latest offence on Thursday, October the 19th. Conrad Lisk, prosecuting, said police spoke to Hill, who was sitting behind the wheel of a Ford Focus with the engine on in Tunnel Hill, Upton, on October the 1st. He was fairly intoxicated, the prosecutor said. There was a strong smell of alcohol. He was unsteady on his feet, slurring his speech. The prosecutor said Hill, formerly of Minge Lane, Upton, accepted he had been driving the car immediately, telling officers he suffered from alcoholism. After failing a roadside breathalyzer test, Hill was taken to the station where the evidential sample given was 75 mcg in 100 millilitres of breath, the legal limit being 35. Mr Lisk added Hill's offence was aggravated by it being his second offence of drink driving, the previous taking place in 2021 when he was banned for 14 months. Nick Roberts, defending Hill, said the defendant had been out with his girlfriend in Upton and had meant to stay at her place, but after falling out, he's decided to get in his car. Mr Roberts said Hill was a member of the regiment but was on sabbatical. The solicitor told the court as Hill drove tanks on public roads it would be unclear if the inevitable ban would mean he could return to the army job. Mr Roberts said this is something he will need to take up with his regiment. Hill had been dealing with grief following the death of a family member through misusing alcohol at the time of the offence. Mr Roberts added the defendant was now getting help. Simon Edgerton, chairman of the magistrate's bench, said, The circumstances are concerning to the bench. Obviously, this is your second offence. And Hill was disqualified for driving for 38 months. He was fined £345, ordered to pay costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £138. His offer to pay the £618 total at a rate of £25 a week 
was accepted by magistrates. Divide over latest Scala plans. The City Council remains divided over pushing ahead with building a new arts venue. Worcester councillors have vowed to continue with plans to revitalise the Scala Theatre in Worcester after scrapping a move to build a 500-seat venue in favour of a new multi-use arts centre. The modified work would create a more flexible space at the Grade 2 listed former theatre in Angel Place to host music, drama, film screenings and comedy. But the political dividing lines have been drawn over the plan, with Labour accusing the Conservatives of allowing the project's budget to spiral out of control. Tory councillor Stephen Hodgson said the new arts venue would not put the city on the map and the gap in funding, which totalled more than £1 million, should have been found elsewhere. It could have been so much more, he said at the Policy and Resources Committee meeting in the Guildhall on Monday, October the 16th. It's sad that we are going to end up with this. It's better than what is already there, but it doesn't really put us on the map. If we had the political leadership in this council, we would have taken a bold step. We would have found the extra funding. Good luck with the project, but it's not what was envisaged when my party was running this council. Councillor Jabba Riaz, deputy leader of the Labour Group, said the council had now taken a grip of a project that had been spiralling out of control under the last Conservative leadership and the proposal was now what the people wanted. The council was forced to scrap plans for a 500-seat venue at the Scala Theatre earlier this year, citing rising costs for the budget woes. Green councillor Marjorie Bissett, joint leader of the City Council, said the current plan to build an art centre for everyone would be better for the city than a 500-seat theatre. I think that's really valuable, she said. I don't know where we would ever have found the funding. Worcester City Council was forced to redesign its landmark plans for the Scala Theatre after seeing its budget balloon in the last year. The modified work would create a more flexible space at the Grade 2 listed former theatre in Angel Place to host music, drama, film screenings and comedy. In the summer, the City Council revealed it was scrapping plans to build a new landmark 500-seat Scala Theatre in favour of a much smaller venue after seeing the gap in its budget rocket to £3.5 million in less than six months. The redesign is expected to cost at least £250,000. An independent survey carried out on behalf of the council spoke with 100 organisations, with 86% saying they would like to see the Scala turned into an arts centre. The project, which was being funded by nearly £18 million in government future high street fund money, has been drastically reduced ever since it was awarded in 2020, which left the City Council battling to even carry out the cornerstone Scala work. The Council blamed inflation and rising construction costs for the spiralling budget. Plans for a flexible stage, which could be reconfigured for every performance, taller rooms and balconies were all ditched in a bid to cut down costs. On a completely different subject, alongside a beautiful picture of a beaver in the river is the headline project to bring back beavers to the forest a project which aims to bring beavers back to wire forest is now underway 
Forestry England and Natural England are working together with experts at the Beaver Trust to reintroduce beavers to the forest. Trees are being felled around Dales Brook, near where the horse riding trails meet, north of the disused railway, to make way for a beaver enclosure. There are plans to release two adult beavers into a fenced enclosure next spring. A Forestry England spokesman said, Beavers are a really important species. They can create habitats for many other plant, insect and mammal species and their dams can change watercourses to potentially reduce flooding. They were once hunted to extinction, but we are now working to reintroduce them across the country. After successful projects in the Forest of Dean and Yorkshire, Wire Forest has been identified as a perfect place for beavers. And now a different interest again from what Richard has offered us. Can we connect with other worlds? The use of clairvoyance and mediums to connect with other worlds has long held a fascination for many. And now their depiction in literature and film was the subject of a talk by an expert from the University of Worcester. Lecturer in English literature, Dr Lucy Arnold, was speaking at the Commandery on October the 25th, exploring the ways in which mediums, clairvoyance and the situation of the seance itself have been represented in popular culture from the Victorian period through to the present day. I am thinking about why these figures are still so compelling to us, the ways in which they might both fascinate and frighten us, and what these cultural representations might have to tell us about changing attitudes towards death and grief, particularly at a time when the COVID-19 pandemic profoundly unsettled our conventional mourning practices, she said. Dr Arnold is a specialist in 20th and 21st century literature with research interests including contemporary Gothic, narratives of haunting and contemporary women's writing. My academic work has always focused on ghosts and haunting, the ways in which we use the spectral to help us think about a whole host of things, loss, trauma, technology, time, marginalisation, she said. More recently, though, I began to think about the figure of the medium, the individual who claims to intercede between living and dead. In an increasingly secular society, where might this figure appear? How might we make sense of them? Clairvoyance first became popular in the Victorian and post-First World War eras, and this was reflected in the literature of the time. This can be explained on one level, said Dr Arnold, by changing mourning practices, particularly in the wake of the war, when the scale of bereavement combined with the impossibility in the majority of cases of bringing the bodies of loved ones home for burial created a demand for alternative ways of connecting with the deceased. 
there are a wide range of depictions, from Henry James's 1880s novel The Bostonians and T.S. Eliot's 1920s poem The Wasteland, to more contemporary examples, such as in Sarah Waters' Affinity and Hilary Mantel's Beyond Black. The séance situation is a focal point in the most recent Agatha Christie cinematic adaptation, A Haunting in Venice. Most fascinating, though, Dr Arnold said, is how varied these representations of mediums are. She says they've been used for comic effect, but equally others are depicted as sinister, suspected of deceit or rendering terrifying through their proximity to haunting, where there are others whose powers torment them and deplete them, who are made vulnerable through their contacts with the dead. Inevitably, as attitude towards spirituality, dying and the dead, and to mourning and trauma have changed since the Victorian period, so too have the ways in which readers respond to these figures in fiction, she said. Whereas some Victorian readers might have received these representations as reflecting prominent social, religious practices, Contemporary readers have a much wider range of interpretative options, particularly given that spiritualist demonstrations are more visibly a commodified form of entertainment in the contemporary moment than a belief system. Ultimately, though, the medium acts as a conduit for questions about the possibility of life after death which remains relevant and poignant across cultures and historical periods. A narrow city centre street is unsuitable to be used as a de facto coach station, say residents. King Street in Worcester has on-street parking for coaches as well as a council car park. But residents say the coaches bring noise and air pollution as well as causing traffic chaos and a calling for better facilities. Why doesn't a self-respecting city such as Worcester have a dedicated coach station, said James Newby, who has lived in King Street for two years. There are only two spaces, but we get three or four coaches lined up contributing to the congestion in the city. King Street is being used as a de facto coach station when actually it is a medieval street. We've had coaches turning up in the middle of the night, which impacts on people's health and their right to enjoy some peace and quiet. Alfie Carney, who also lives in the street, said, Why is there no designated coach station? These are large, dangerous vehicles which cause a great deal of air noise and light pollution. Residents said the coach bays were created in 2016, before the residential development of King Street had started. Having a residential area changes everything, said Mr Carney. There are no ratepayers, but councils behave like there are no residents. Look at the chaos caused by coaches. Scenes usually seen at designated stations for a good reason. They are large and pose risks. Then the accompanying traffic, hundreds of cars racing in and out, hundreds of people. It's absolutely insane that this is allowed to continue. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, We are aware of some complaints about coach parking in King Street. There is a 20-minute waiting limit at the bus stand there and vehicles are not allowed to return within one hour. We will be increasing our patrols in the area and will be issuing penalties where required. 
Decisions about whether coaches and other vehicles are allowed to park on the carriageway in King Street are a matter for Worcestershire County Council, as they are the highway's authority. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, A traffic regulation order is in place on King Street to limit the amount of time buses and coaches are allowed to park or remain stationary. The order allows vehicles with more than eight seats to be parked on the street for 20 minutes. This order ensures that visitors to our city can visit the local attractions, for example the cathedral and the commandery. There are no plans to review the current order. We are aware of residents' concerns regarding enforcement and are continuing to liaise with the County Councillor and Worcester City Council. An article by Paul Harding in the October, Friday, October the uh, 20th edition is telling us about um, Nelson and the Battle of Worcester, the Battle of uh, Trafalgar. Despite Worcester being landlocked, the city was an important inland port with people who knew the sea well and how to sail safely upon it. After all, the British Channel, the Irish Sea and the Atlantic Ocean are all downstream from our fair city. Later this month marks the anniversary of the famous Battle of Trafalgar, a battle where Britain's brave Royal Navy took on the combined French and Spanish fleets to avert an invasion of Britain by Napoleon Bonaparte. This famous battle was fought in 1805 and would see over a thousand men killed in the action. Hundreds more would suffer life-changing injuries when solid iron shot tore off limbs and large oak splinters sprayed the smoke-filled gun decks of the ships. Admiral Lord Nelson also died in the engagement after being shot by a French sniper located high in the rigging of an enemy ship. Nelson knew Worcester. He had been made a freeman of the city in 1802 and went on to order a large selection of Worcester bone china. Much of this commission to China he would never see or pay for. Cookin Street was even renamed Copenhagen Street. After an earlier victory too, the Battle of Copenhagen was fought in 1801. After 20 men, sorry, beg on, over 20 men from Worcester fought in the Battle of Trafalgar, landsman William Lloyd and Joseph Taylor. Ordinary seamen George Wells, Anthony Washburn, Henry Pennygrove, William London, William Smith and William Loft. Able seamen John Clowes, John Dethridge, Wall Waller Freeman, Edward Hawkins, Isaac Miles and William Price. Together with gunners Thomas Baker and John Ward. And John Parry was only 14, and he served aboard HMS Royal Sovereign. William Smith was 22 in 1803, and like many, was press-ganged into the Royal Navy. Paul Harding often portrays this individual when he and his colleagues are booked to portray Royal Navy crew from the period. William Smith fought on HMS Victory, the fleet flagship. You could still visit the ship today at the historic dockyards in Portsmouth. It was on this ship that Admiral Nelson was shot 
and where he would die of his injuries deep in the belly of the ship under lantern light. William Smith, on the other hand, survived the battle, the violent storm that followed, and went on to die at Gibraltar. This may have been from injuries sustained at the battle. Horrific injuries could result from swords, boarding axes, pikes, or more likely from pistol or musket shot. Canister, or the dreaded ship's splinters caused by cannon shot impacting the oak walls of the ship. If the violence of the battle had not killed local lad William Smith, some horrible disease that ravaged the Navy at this time probably did. Possibly dysentery or scurvy? Both were caused by a poor diet, damp conditions, and living in close proximity to hundreds of other men, all working long, hard watches aboard mighty wooden warships. The shipmates from the city who lost their lives on the 21st of October 1805 are rarely mentioned, and in most cases are only known and remembered by their families. However, Nelson, their admiral, is a well-known name who was given a huge funeral in London. Do take a look at the Guildhall Assembly Room and you will see a modest cabinet in one corner. It holds a letter from Lord Nelson and a ticket to his funeral, held at St Paul's Cathedral. We would encourage you to remember our Worcester-born naval heroes in a few weeks' time, including William Smith, who died many miles away from our beautiful cathedral, sweep of the Morven Hills, and the meandering of our mighty River Severn. Now we turn to a very contemporary issue. The heading of this article is Shelter will no longer rehome XL bully dogs. A dog rescue charity has announced it will stop rehoming a controversial dog breed following a spate of recent attacks. Dogs Trust has announced it will not rehome XL bullies any time in the future. Dogs Trust has a rehoming shelter in Wickhamford, near Evesham, as well as in Kenilworth, Shrewsbury and Newbury. The charity statement follows an attack in Norfolk on Monday, October the 16th, which saw an XL bully maul its owner. A previous attack took place in Basildon, as a Dogs Trust staff member was attacked on hospital and hospitalised on October the 5th. A spokesman for Dogs Trust said, Following the government's announcement, we immediately stopped promoting any dogs that we thought could fall under the ban. In the light of the proposed for ban, we do not expect to rehome XL bullies any time in the future. The Basildon incident saw the carer attacked by a dog named Clay, who was allegedly an XL bully, put down after the incident. Clay was put down following discussions between Dogs Trust leadership and the staff member was discharged after recovering from the attack. The Dogs Trust spokesman added, Since the Prime Minister announced a ban on American bully XL-type dogs, we have seen an increase in the number of calls regarding American bully XL-type dogs. 
Many of these calls are from owners seeking clarity on what the ban means for them and their dogs. However, some are from people considering rehoming their dog in light of the recent ban announcement. We are urging American Bully XL owners who call us to stay calm and not panic. The government has confirmed there will be a transition period before the ban comes into effect, so we are doing all we can to support owners. This includes providing behaviour advice through our behaviour support line and signposting callers to our website for advice and guidance pages where we offer specific advice including online training tips. We will also be offering new services such as specialist muzzle training to support dogs affected by the ban to help owners comply with new restrictions. Until the government has issued further guidance, we're not currently rehoming any dogs that we think could be typed as XL bully type dogs. Plans for a new artificial football pitch next to a city leisure centre have been given the green light. Worcester City Council is looking to build the new all-weather 3G pitch at Purdiswell Leisure Centre of Bilford Road and the Council's planning committee backed the move at a meeting on October the 19th. The approval came despite concerns about microplastics being used for the surface, with one councillor saying it was a disaster. Green councillor Eleanor Round said, Are we saying that because there is a need for more pitches, that outweighs the environmental issues? I just have grave concerns that what was great a few years ago, the world's view and our viewpoints have changed and I don't think there's ever a reason for microplastics to be used. Environmentally, this is a disaster. The planned use of microplastics has faced criticism before, with the City Council's Lib Dems raising concerns over the harm it could have on people and animals in July. Plains councillor Karen Lawrence said the environmental consequences of using a plastic surface could not be ignored. At the moment, the council expects the new pitches to be open by October 2024. The pitches would be open from 9am until 10pm during the week and 9am to 8pm at weekends. A plan to build a new 4,400-seat stadium for Worcester City FC alongside a new all-weather 3G pitch was rejected by the council in 2017. The Football Foundation, which is in charge of handing out government and FA money to grassroots football, is expected to agree to fund 80% of Worcester's much-needed 3G pitch, but a decision on the funding will not be made until next year at the earliest. To meet tight deadlines, the Planning Committee was due to be asked to vote on the plan with a recommendation it be given the green light despite the County Council's Highways Department remaining unsatisfied and only removing its objection at the last minute. Highways officers at Worcestershire County Council called for the application to be deferred, asking for more information about whether the existing leisure centre car park could cope with the extra demand. The City Council said building the new 3G pitch would not add to traffic or parking problems around Purdiswell but in August, the County Council demanded proof. 
An assessment has been carried out and the council is set to have its football foundation bid scrutinised next month, ahead of a hearing on January 15th next year. If the parking studies were not finished by the end of the month, it would have had a domino effect that rendered a November review useless and pushed the hearing with the FA from January to April next year. The delay would push up costs and delay the opening of the facility from October 2024 to January 2025. I'm very grateful to Evelyn for letting me have yet another history matter to, to read to you today, as she is a normal history expert. Uh, this uh, under a headliner, How Infamous Plot Shaped Our History. If successful, it was an event that could have changed the course of history. But a University of Worcester historian will argue that the gunpowder plot still made a huge impact on British life in an upcoming talk. Taking place on Sunday, November the 5th, the same day that the plot was due to be put into action, Professor of Early Modern History, D Darren Aldridge, is delivering a title called Gunpowder, Treason and Plot. Anti-Catholicism in 17th century England uh, is delivered at 1pm in the commandery in Worcester. Most people know the story of the gunpowder plot, said Professor Aldridge, how it was discovered, its main players and what happened to them. But beyond this, I want to show people that the uncovering of the plot had far-reaching consequences, in particular driving greater fear of Catholicism in England, which would shake the country's political and constitutional foundations in the years to come. Professor Aldridge specialises in 16th and 17th century religious history, with a particular interest in witchcraft and the devil, the supernatural and the religious context of the English civil wars. On the evening of November 4th, 1605, Guy Fawkes was discovered guarding 36 barrels of gunpowder during a search of the cellars of the House of Lords. He was part of a Catholic conspirator's plan to assassinate Protestant King James I of England by blowing up Parliament and establishing Catholic rule in England. The foiling of the gunpowder plot has been marked annually ever since, on November the 5th. But Professor Aldridge's focus is less on the incident than its aftermath. The plot propelled the most powerful force in 17th century politics and religion, he said. This was anti-Catholicism, which played a decisive role in the outbreak of the English Civil War. Indeed, you can make a strong case that the fear of Catholicism caused the downfall of two monarchs, Charles I and his son, James II. He will be delving into some books printed soon after the gunpowder plot to illustrate this. As part of the talk, members of the audience can hold and read books printed in the period, including one of the earliest accounts of the gunpowder plot itself, with handwritten notes in the margins. Professor Aldridge will use these to explain the importance of anti-Catholicism in this period, and the major part it played in the English Civil War 40 years later. The 17th century was a time of intense religious conflict and intolerance, he said. These books illustrate the prevalence and significance of anti-popery, from the gunpowder plot to the English Revolution and beyond. Tickets for the talk cost £7, 
and are available at www.museumsworcestershire.org.uk oblique events oblique five hyphen November hyphen gunpowder hyphen treason hyphen and hyphen plot oblique attendees can explore the rest of the commandery for half price day admission and to finish um, an upbeat number more children sign up to read and it's illustrated by a picture of the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Louis Stephen, handing little Keris Howell her summer reading challenge medal. More than 2,100 children across the county crossed the finishing line and completed this year's summer reading challenge held in Worcestershire libraries. It's the country's biggest literacy event and is a fun and engaging way of maintaining children's reading skills over the summer holidays. 750 more children took part in this year's challenge than last year. Almost 2,200 children read six books and completed the challenge and over 340 children signed up for a library card over the summer holidays. Many libraries also hosted sports-themed activities during the holidays to keep children entertained and engaged with the theme Ready, Set, Read, which focused on reading, sport and play. Across the county, a total of 145,329 books were borrowed. Councillor Marcus Hart, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Communities for Worcestershire County Council, said we're absolutely thrilled to see that so many children have taken part in this year's Summer Reading Challenge. We also want to give a big shout out to our brilliant staff and volunteers who talk to the children about their books and organise many fun activities this summer. We can't wait to see what next year's challenge has in store. Well, now we've come to the end of this evening's recording. I do hope you've enjoyed hearing all the articles and useful information. Many thanks to the team, Moira, Richard and Alex, and also Carol and the admin team who work so hard in the background. We hope you'll tune in for next week's offering. So for now, from us all, good night and good night. goodbye. Right. Now the obituaries. Gerald Leddington sadly passed away 25th of September 2023, 89 years of age. A funeral service will take place at St Mary Magdalene Church, Broadwas, on the 27th of October at 11am. Ronald William Cedric Repton, Ron, of Queen Camel, formerly of Worcester, passed away peacefully at home on the 9th of October 2023. Thanksgiving service to be held on Thursday the 2nd of November at 10.30am at St Barnabas Church, Queen Camel. Family flowers only, please. Donations are invited for Marie Curie or St Margaret's Hospice, Somerset. Ronald Redman, Ron, ex-Frood, 
passed away peacefully at home on the 6th of October 2023, aged 94 years. The funeral service has taken place. Anthony Henry Russell, Tony, former EBA International, passed away peacefully on October the 8th, 2023. The funeral service has taken place. Peter, or Pete Finch, passed away peacefully on 13th of October, aged 72 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on, on Tuesday 31st of October at 3.15. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Brain Research UK. No black by request, a touch of blue would be desirable. Kieran, also known as Kevin Quinn, sadly passed away on the 16th of October at St Richard's Hospice. Father to Neil and Stephen. A funeral on Thursday the 2nd of November at 2.30pm at Worcester Crematorium, followed by the wake at the Bull in Fernal Heath. All welcome, family flowers only. Joyce Elizabeth Irwin passed away peacefully in hospital on 7th of October, aged 92 years. Funeral service at St George's Catholic Church on Tuesday the 31st of October at 11.30, followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Flowers or donations if desired for Diabetes UK. And Tony Llewellyn Bevan, aged 77 of Chelsea, passed away very peacefully on the 10th of October 2023 from a short illness with his family around him. Funeral service at Wire Forest Crematorium at 4.30pm on Wednesday the 1st of November, followed by a memorial for family and friends. You are encouraged to wear rugby jerseys or scout and guide attire. Family flowers only. And Roy Edwards, otherwise Geoffrey, late of Whitegate's Bromyard, sadly passed away at Hereford County Hospital on the 29th of September 2023, aged 79 years. Memorial service followed by interment of cremated remains at St Andrew's Church, Bredenbury, on Saturday the 25th of November at 3 o'clock. Donations to St Andrew's Church, Bredenbury. <laughs> 